Welcome to Eurodial University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski, and this is going to be one of my favorite shows. I love these kind of shows because I get to step away from the hosting duties and just sit back and relax. I'm going to hand it over to Jeff. We have a very special show, Jeff. We've had, I don't know how many guests on, two, three, four, and we're going to double that total in a single episode, Jeff. Jeff, what are we doing today? We have a bunch of special guests from Pennsylvania. Joining us from Pine Richland High School is the, uh, what is you, do you guys have a name? Uh, is there an official moniker we can call you? Or is it just a, a bunch of kids from high school? <laughs> just the Pine Richland High School debate team. Yeah, All right, the Pine Richland High School debate team. And the reason we're having them on, Emil and I invited them to, to our show today. We'll, be, we'll, we'll get to that in a few minutes. We also have a couple special guests. Mr. John Urban, who is an advisor to the date to the, the debate team, as well as Mr. Um, Matt Roberts, who is the I think the official school advisor to the debate team. So essentially, we have the Pine Richland debate team, who are and you guys tell me if I'm wrong. You are the international champions, not national champions, but international champions of this particular debate contest. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Go champions. All right. Will you guys? Uh, uh, Give us a brief overview of what the contest was about and what you guys did. Yeah, so the International Public Policy Forum was a debate that's both essay and oral arguments. And so for about six months, starting in October and going to around March, we were given the topic that dollar hegemony is detrimental to the world economy. And it was our job to create a case on both the pro and con side of the arguments, in which we laid out in about a 10-page essay why we thought one side was better than the other. So over a six-month period, we argued both sides, submitting essays to this competition in New York City, and slowly and steadily, it got whittled down from 120 teams to eight teams. And then in May, we were actually able to fly out to the Pratt House in New York City, uh, the headquarters of the Council of Foreign Relations, where we participated in all debates and went from quarterfinals to semifinals to finals, and eventually uh, won. So yeah, very exciting time for us. Emil, they went right deep into the heart of the orthodoxy establishment, the Council on Foreign Relations, talking about dollar hegemony. I mean, you guys should be hosting the show, not me and Emil. I think you guys should. This should be a Eurodollar University with the Pine Richland students. (laughs) Fabulous, Jeff. Fabulous. Jeff, have you ever accomplished anything so impressive? Not even close. No, not even close. No, no. Unbelievable. Like like I said, I think we need to step aside and let these guys take over. So, I mean – Let's talk about the dollar hegemony. And I know that you guys had to take, I think, both sides of the debate. You had to say, you had to argue with a pro and you had to argue the con and say which one was what. What what do you guys, what is your decision? What did you guys come down on? I feel like I'd say it is detrimental, but there's no current better alternative. It's kind of like, I think the conclusion we've all kind of reached. Because when you look at it, there's definitely significant harms, such as like the entire euro dollar system, such as you can say it gives the United States too much power with sanctions. But when you ask the question, simple question, what are we going to do about it? It seems like there's no solution to the problem. So I think, yes, detrimental, but for now, it's the best thing we have. So basically the uh, the same idea that there's, we got, uh, it's like democracy or what Winston Churchill said about democracy. Yeah. It's the worst form of monetary system except all others that are available. Now, Jeff, <laughs> wait a minute here. We were just talking about the dollar hegemony. But the young man, and please let me know what your name is uh, once I'm done talking. You said euro dollar which just a slap across my face of just shocks me into reality i can't imagine what happened when you brought up the word euro dollar <laughs> to the audience because i'm sure it's just supposed to be about the u.s dollar did it it was 
did you veer off into a, a just another completely unknown realm that wasn't even on the radar screen of the of the judges, or did they know what a euro dollar was? So yeah, my name's Amish, by the way. It's nice to meet everyone. And we got more of that second reaction where the judges were very, very confused initially. Because that was their entire strategy going in. In a debate competition, what we believe is like the number one key to success is uniqueness. You want to catch your opponents off guard with an argument that they haven't heard before. And that's kind of what we got a lot of. We ran the euro dollar argument in our first two rounds, and our opponents both times didn't know what it was. They thought it was like dollars used in Europe, and I had no clue what they're arguing. But like we kept going, we re-explained it, and eventually we were able to get to a point where we were able to have the judges understand it, but not the opponents, which was pretty good for us. And ended up working out. <laughs> I think that's the best strategy, right? Weapon. Just bury them under the uh, just a, a wave of knowledge and understanding that uh, goes eight, nine, ten, twelve levels far deeper than they can. Now, Mr. Roberts, can you tell us how this all came about? How did you put the team together? And uh, when did you have a sense that this could be really something, an eventual championship? Well, yeah, just to be clear, I'm actually not the debate uh, club sponsor. That's Mr. Baiko, who is just an outstanding educator here at Pine Ridgeland, and he's retiring this year. So it was a huge triumph for him uh, to have a team like this that, you know, goes all the way. I mean, literally as high as you can go and, and wins. And it's been a fantastic year for him to go out on that, that high note, retire from teaching. Uh, so this is a team that he has sort of fostered and, and helped to grow since they were freshmen. I think everybody here has been involved in debates since freshman year. Is that correct? Yeah. And Mr. Biker was an English teacher. So when this particular prompt came up, these guys came to me and said, do you know anything about, about dollar hegemony? I'm the uh, social studies teacher. I'm the chair of the social studies department. So they came and said, we need help with this prompt about dollar hegemony. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's dig into it. So uh, I think you guys came to visit me once or twice a week over that you know six-month period, talking through their arguments. I looked at their papers and sort of gave what little input I could. And I believe it was Amish who came upon Eurodollar. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and said, have you ever heard of the Eurodollar? And again, I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and so we started learning together about this. I happened to be sitting with Mr. Urban, with John, around the fire in my backyard. John is my neighbor and uh, is involved in of finance, and I was telling him about this wonderful group of young people and what they're working on and how successful they've been. And John said, oh, yeah, I know all about that, and just started going off talking about Eurodollar. And so he volunteered to meet with this group uh, virtually and sort of help all of us wrap our heads around the Eurodollar system. Um, and that was hugely beneficial, I think. That was a really good discussion for all of us. I've learned so much through this process. Um, and, and that all happened, I believe, right before you guys made final top eight. Top eight, eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they went into that last top eight armed with this knowledge. Mm -hmm. and it was just perfect timing. And, uh, you know, it's just sort of a serendipity of things coming together. John, why don't you give us a little a little background about uh, your background as well as how you fit into the whole the euro dollar story? I think you know what it, what uh, what really intrigues both Emil and I is the sort of the grassroots nature of this. This is not something that's being taught in schools. 
This is it, this is the very definition of independent study, the very definition of grassroots research, which is what Emil and I do all the time. You know, we're not we're, we're not interested in watching CNBC or watching the mainstream Bloomberg channels or reading, pardon me, the Council on Foreign Relations view on the U.S. dollar. We want to dig into the details. We want to get into the research, and we're going to talk about a little bit the the process here. You you and the kids really. This was a very in depth, uh, very intensive research project where you went really deep into the weeds and dug up, you know, your own individual research on what we think is a hugely important topic. Well, yeah, so I can uh, I can give my two cents here. And um, yeah, as Mr. Robert said, um, it came up over a backyard fire and euro dollar system is not not a topic you expect to hear in that setting, maybe for your background, backyard fires, Jeff or Emil's. Um, but not for us. So it was um, kind of shocking that that came up and that question came up. But I mean, everything that I know about it, I know because I listen to this show. Um, so it was, you know, I was floored that the question was posed in such a way of, do you guys know, do either of you guys know anything about the Euro dollar system? And I mean, people look at me funny because I listen about euro dollar system and i try to explain it to people and people have no idea what i'm talking about so i just continue to listen and learn about it I, i've always been intrigued by it because it exerts such a large influence on macroeconomics but it's hardly ever referenced or spoken about in the public public sphere or in, or in media so that's why I, I listen to you guys uh, that everything that i know about it is really from from listening to this show so it just yeah just uh, a happy confluence of events that uh, brought the students to Mr. Roberts, Mr. Roberts to me, you know, so in that sense, I'm kind of one of the least important folks on this show, but maybe I'll take credit for kicking off the chain of events that got us all onto this podcast together. Yeah. And I think, uh, Emil, we, we haven't done our service. I mean, we got to introduce the winning, t winning team here. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves one at a time? Let us know who you are, where you're going. You're all seniors at Pine Ridgefield High School. You're in Pennsylvania. You guys are all heading off into the to the great unknown, the great frontier of your future. And doing so, as I think Emil would agree, far, far ahead of most of your, your <laughs> potential peers. Because as we know, the euro dollar is, is basically the most important story, at least for our show and our audience. But uh, I think as you go forward, uh, if, if any of you are going to continue in the economics or even just financial realm, I think you'll, you'll agree that this was a worthwhile endeavor. So yes, introduce yourselves. Ladies first. Cool, all right. Um, so hi, I'm Callie Stoltz. Um, I'm gonna be going to the University of Pittsburgh uh, Honors College as a Chancellor Scholar. Uh, and there I'll be doing a politics and philosophy major. Uh, hi, my name is Andrew Nate. I'll be going to Brown University to study neuroscience under their program of liberal medical education, which is like an eight-year program. So I'll end up going to medical school there too. Uh, hello, my name is Matt Farmer, and I'll be going to the Olin College of Engineering, and I'll be majoring in biomedical engineering next year. Hi, my name is Miles Brown. I'll be majoring, at, be majoring in history at Grinnell College on the Founders Scholarship. Hi, everyone. My name is Amish Sethi, and I will be attending the University of Pennsylvania, where I'll be majoring in computer science. And we have one more uh, member yeah. who's not here with Missing us, one. Uh, Ty Canada, who will be going to Cornell. Terrific. So impressive. So cool. And a diverse I background, too. I mean, we've got you guys are you're all studying very different subjects. It seems like uh, 
to be able to come together on such a dense, complex, and difficult topic, and then not only pick it apart, again, coming at it from a completely blind spot, pick it apart enough that you can understand it, and then win this prestigious debate competition. I mean, honestly, congratulations to all of you, including you, uh, John and Matt, too, because this is, a, this is really a tremendous accomplishment. Uh, especially as you're heading into college and, and moving forward from here. I just think that's a really important point that this is a group with a lot of diverse interests and sitting here listening to them talk to each other and the things they were referencing, that that played out, I think, in this whole process. Uh, if you had put a, a bunch of kids who are all going off to college to major in economics together, yeah. I don't know that they would have gone to this point. Um, their, their diversity of interests really played to their advantage here. I'm relieved to hear no one is studying economics. Yeah, no one's pursuing that. Good. <laughs> That's what we're going to say. Yeah. It, I think it helps when you start from outside the paradigm of mainstream economics, whether it, any freshwater, uh, saltwater, whatever, however they com- uh, call themselves, and coming at this from a very honest, very open perspective to just, you know, what is the truth here? What is really going on? And you guys, this wasn't, you know, I think just for the audience, to, to be clear for the audience here, this wasn't just, you know, a debate where you got together and argued for an hour. There was papers that you had to put together. There was all sorts of these different rounds. Why don't you tell us about, you know, the, the overall debate process? Because it was really intensive and really exhaustive. Yeah, I think, I'm sorry, do you want to know about like the research process or the oral debate? Format? All of it. Sorry, I mean, because this, this was an ongoing process oh. through, through much of the year, right? I mean, you guys put a lot of time and effort into this. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely capture the first part if if you want to jump. But for really just getting into the research, I think in some ways that might have been the hardest part because a lot of the in-depth analysis and journals that we're looking into really aren't accessible to people that aren't in the economics major because they use a lot of technical terms. So it took a lot of background information and searching to really get what we're looking for. In fact, our first real strong understanding of the euro dollar combined with Mr. Urban was actually a law journal from Vanderbilt. And it was like this uh, pivot away from economics that really helped us first get into the topic. So um, I think the biggest part was just scrolling hours and hours through saving different articles and like Jay storing these other academic sources to uh, get everything together. So just to answer the question about like the different stages. So originally started off with like a qualifying essay where we had to write about a 2800 word essay with like an annotated bibliography and everything like that, arguing either the pro or the con or dollar hegemony. So once we did that, I think we argued the con for that yeah. side, which said the US dollar hegemony is good because it's, it's established, right? We've got to get all the advantages we can get. So we ran that and we first submitted that essay. And after that, we qualified into a top 64 bracket. And every round, we have to submit another paper where we were randomly selected as being pro or con. And we went through top 64, top 32, and top 16. And these were all separate 2,800 word essays that we had to write. But not only that, because this is like a written debate format, it was a type of a back and forth. So we first submitted what we call a constructive essay, where we listed out our arguments, and then we sent that to our opponents. And our opponents then submitted their constructive essay, where they gave their arguments for or against our hegemony. Then each side also wrote an 1800 rebuttal essay, where we took our opponents' points and gave a direct response to them to counter them, and also try to summarize the debate and explain why we won as a whole. So this kind of like back and forth like debate competition lasted for about three rounds. And at that point, we had then qualified to top eight, where I think someone else can talk a bit about the oral format. Yeah. Before you do that, can one of you guys just talk a little bit about the judges? Who is judging these papers? 
Yeah, so it was previous champions of the International Public Policy Forum, other order competitors. We had a couple of professors from New York University, and then also a lot of the New York uh, University debate team. So it was about 300 uh, debate coaches, economics professors, and advisors. So you had a real plethora of people that you had to balance between using debate and technical jargon and also really making sure you're sticking true to the content so that um, you could appeal to all judges. Yeah. Along those same lines, forgive me, along those same lines, what sort of tone could you take? Could you put your own character into these responses? Because, for example, I can't help myself, and I would want to put in some irony and some jokes and some humor, but maybe that wouldn't be appropriate. Maybe you have to be very dignified and professional throughout. But where did you have the opportunity to throw in some some sort of character that would say we're having fun with this? I would say it's been more like dignified. I'd argue more of like a research paper tone rather than like putting in the jokes. It was kind of funny. Our opponents kind of took that approach of sarcasm. Like you're we arguing about like the harms of like debt and like China's debt trap diplomacy. And they responded in like a written format, quote, oh, the horrors of Chinese debt trap diplomacy. I think it's bad. But they tried to take that sarcastic approach and they lost. So I think we kind of learned from that and tried to be a lot more dignified and formal in our tone. I think that kind of helped us throughout the written rounds. But the oral rounds kind of changed that up. Because when it's spoken, you can kind of add more of that personality and that humor. Yeah. And as for like the oral rounds, uh, that was from top eight on. So top eight, top four, and then the finals. Those were all oral rounds in New York. And the format for that was uh, you had a introduction speech for five minutes that laid out your general case um, for top eight. And then for top four and top two, that was eight minutes long. And then both sides would give that. And then there would be a questioning period uh, from both teams where you ask each other questions to try to poke holes in each other's cases. And then after that, the second speaker on our team would give a five minute speech, kind of rebutting their points and uh, going over like the questioning that gone on between the both teams. After that, there was then questioning from the judges that was like 10 to 20 minutes long. And that actually got progressively harder as it went on since there was more experts that knew about dollar hegemony as we gone on through the rounds. So that actually became one of the most important parts of the debate, the questioning from the judges themselves, because you could really tell what they liked about your case and what they didn't. And at some points, they give trying to give opportunities to the losing team to like take it back. So like they're asking them more questions and giving them opportunities. Uh, and then the final thing was a five minute kind of like summary speech, going over why you won the round and uh, just like the final chance to convince the judges. Basically. And all of those last three rounds were in one day. Is that correct? Yes. So yeah. yeah so all of that three times over in one day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> was it was it sort of frustrating when you're doing especially the live the oral rounds where you, I mean you guys just said you started out having to run you run into this roadblock that is mainstream economics and then you're arguing in front of mainstream economists could you kind of sneak it in there a little bit there a little bit of frustration saying hey we gotta we gotta go outside of your discipline to get the answers here because you're not providing it were were you able to kind of work that into your message somehow. So I guess I can take this one. So one of the big things was it kind of, we kind of had to play the game. You know, like our main goal was to win. So we kind of had to play <laughs> some of that mainstream economic sides as well. So the way it worked is we had three separate judging panels for top eight, top four, and top two. So for top eight and top four, our judging panel, all of the, their biographies were out before the rounds. 
we could kind of tell that these really weren't the mainstream economics people. These were more people on like the debate teams who were like willing to like change their perspective and go outside their perspective. So for those two rounds, we argued the euro dollar. And like that was really successful and that worked out. But for our final round, we had people like Dr. John Sexton, former chair of the Federal Reserve, William Brewer, lawyer <laughs> for the NRA. Like we had various like mainstream people for that. So for those rounds, what we decided to do was we picked the side where you don't have to argue euro dollar. We argued that the United States dollar hegemony was good. And like strategically that worked because we won on a 5-0. And like all the judges voted for us. It's like the first time that's ever happened. So we kind of like adjusted our strategy where if we had those judges, we kind of wouldn't argue that point and started kind of stuck with mainstream economics there. Each of you seem organized, disciplined. You plan ahead, strategize, as was just explained. So no doubt you went into this with multiple plans, but things happen along the way. Bags get misplaced. They never make it to New York or the truck has a flat tire. I can't imagine, but surely something must have happened along the way that threw everything up in the air. Was there any moment like that? Now you can look back on it and laugh, but at the time you were thinking, what are we going to do next? Yeah, uh, there was a moment uh, for the six of us all got COVID. So we all had to go into quarantine and like we had a week to write an essay. Um, so that was a pretty chaotic time. Um, but the one bad news about quarantine is that you're stuck in your room. But the good news is there's not many distractions. So uh, that single week in our room, we actually uh, got some major points in uh, developing a lot of our research in that time period. So uh, I guess adapting to online life for a second time was probably the hardest difficulty that we were able to overcome. And I think also kind of going more into the oral debates in New York City, we really tried to mitigate uh, any potential of being thrown off our game. Uh, so we created what I guess in debate is known as kind of a block file where we try and go through all of the team's cases. Because before the um, oral rounds in New York City, we got all of the team's prior cases that they had written in this competition. So we spent a lot of time going through those and seeing, okay, what is just about every possible argument that could be made, and then how can we respond to it? So you put that in a massive document. And so essentially, in the middle of the debate, if they kind of try and come up with a certain argument, you can quickly go, oh, okay, we have this in our file, here's what we can rebut with it, and have it lined out that way. And to add on top of Callie's point, uh, during the oral debates, Miles, Andrew, and Amish were our main speakers, so to even further prepare for any arguments, Callie, Tig, and I went and scouted the quarterfinals debates because they were in different rooms, took notes on all their arguments. So when we'd face those teams in later rounds, we'd already know what cases they were making and how to respond to them. Uh, Jeff, I just get the sense that the other teams had no chance. It seems like no doubt yeah. they were very talented, but I haven't... I haven't come across high school age students who are so prepared. You guys were driven and incredibly motivated. What motivated you? What was the driving force? I know for me, I'm typically motivated by fear, something <laughs> of wasting time, of a fear of some sort. That's my greatest motivator. What about you guys? What was powering you to go such extra lengths? $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is a, this is a contest about dollars. So I mean, there's got to be dollars involved in it somewhere, right? I mean, is it ten thousand per student or total? Uh, yeah, unfortunately. And they all paid you in cryptocurrency, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think also at the beginning, it was really just, you know, getting into top 64. And then there was this like looming, oh, there's this possibility of New York City, which uh, on like an all expenses paid trip, which seemed very like elusive at the time. But each round, like we kept getting a little closer. And so it's like, you know, we would have late nights, but it would be like, okay, push through it because because like New York City, we'll get like we really want to get to New York City. And finally, you know, we got there. And I think, of course, like at first it was pretty nerve wracking, especially for, you know, these three debating. But I feel like I can speak for, I don't know, you guys that it got a little almost less stressful going like once we got there, because, I mean, we were really happy to just make it there in the first place. And so then I think we kind of decided, you know, we're really just going to like give this our all and really like just see what we can do um, and kind of take that attitude towards it. Well, I want to speak to all the economists who are actually listening to our, our podcast now and say, look at what you guys are missing here. These are the young, bright minds who should be going into economics, who should be going into finance, mm. instead mm-hmm. going into all these other more, probably more lucrative fields, more, less silly fields. Again, doing so after having accomplished what I think is a tremendous, uh, tremendously uh, impressive accomplishment here. Was there a part of this, the euro dollar story in particular? Was there a part of that that you sort of, you know, made you stand up and take notice or maybe something that was a little surprising compared to what you were expecting before? Something unusual, uh, something just stood out to you guys? Yeah, I think for the euro dollar, when we went into it, we didn't think like it would be such a huge argument on our side because we went in thinking like, oh, if it's not that well known, how can it be such a big deal? And we just found out like, it plays such a large role in the international market outside of the U.S. And I kind of think that's why we centered most of our case around it, because we realized, oh, this is a big deal. And it has ramifications for the global economy um, that honestly, like right now, can't be really solved for. So it's like inherent problems with um, the global monetary system. and we kind of latched onto that. And that's like the main thing. It's just how large of a role it plays in the global economy that we learned. I think building off of that, I mean, especially with the euro dollar, it's kind of just terrifying to understand like how much power banks have and how trillions of dollars of our economy are just based on the idea that we are trusting banks without any federal regulation to oversee transactions with almost uh, complete complete freeness and like a laissez-faire level that led to the 2008 recession and could be significantly worse in the future was a, a bit alarming. So, yeah. <laughs> and and linked up with the amazing amount of ignorance about this whole thing that nobody really knows about this. I'm never amazed by my own ignorance, but that <laughs> there are other people making big decisions, like you know the, the head of the Federal Reserve who doesn't know about this. <laughs> That's what really makes it equal, or even more terrifying. I think. Um, was there a particular? article that you could recommend to our audience or study. I remember the first time I ever came across the idea that dollar hegemony is back bad for the United States. I was always taught that dollar hegemony is good for the United States and there are great benefits. That's the exorbitant privilege. I remember reading for the first time uh, an article by Michael Pettis, an economist and historian out in China, and he wrote that it's in fact the opposite, that it's an exorbitant burden. And that one always stayed with me. Was there any article that you guys came across or book or journal or something that just you remember and you would like to recommend to to our audience? 
there is an article in the Vanderbilt uh, Law Journal in 2014 called The Monetary Fifth Column, The Eurodollar Threats Financial Stability and Economic Sovereignty. Uh, that was our first major introduction to the Eurodollar, and it really broke down in detail through small examples how an over-reliance on a single exchange of dollars can lead to a credit multiplier effect that can lead to spillover effects that are as large as the 2008 recession, and I think really captured how dangerous and beneficial speculation can be. Um, so I, I definitely recommend that. Jeff, have you ever read that article? I don't know Academic if I've ever paper. run across it, to be honest with you. We've got to get yeah, that. Yeah, I think I do. So you guys are Excellent. already helping us out here, expanding our <laughs> research list. So I think from a research perspective, something that was like very frustrating for us was just like, sometimes we had points we wanted to prove and then we were just like trying to kind of find the evidence for it. So you'd spend so much time like <laughs> scrolling through articles, looking for something. And then also, you know, you would find a lot of articles on the benefits of dollar hegemony, but it would come from like the IMF or something like that. That's like, you know, pretty US run. And so it's like, oh, like this is the stat we need, but like, you know, how biased is that? So I think that was definitely a difficult part of the process as well. That's the grassroots right there. Because I think, you know, you run into that all the time. There is a singular perspective. There is a singular sort of ideological or intellectual block out there. And as you try to go around the uh, to the outside and look for, you know, a, a, you know, contrary examples or even just other forms of thinking about the the topic, it's amazing how there really is nothing. It's something Emil and I talk about all the time. How, you know, this thing is so huge, it's so important, but yet monetary scholarship of any type dried up so many uh, so many decades ago. And it sounds like you guys have run across that problem too, you know. But you've been able to overcome it using your own ingenious ways and ingenious means, which is, I think for, for certainly for Emil and I, I'm gonna speak for you, Emil, for the both of us, this is incredibly heartening, incredibly optimistic because we have a bunch of young people who can dive in, not knowing a thing about the topic, but just dive into it and take it all the way to, this, to the top of this, this uh, prestigious international competition. So uh, you guys are an enormous amount of, of hope, or an enormous amount of optimism for the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Jeff and I are both members of Generation X, and our parents didn't care for us. <laughs> they were suspicious of us. We were up to trouble all the time. It's all true. All the worst stories are heard. It's actually worse. So, but now you guys are the younger generation. You guys, I believe you might still be millennials, or you're on the cusp of that new generation that hasn't been named. I'm not sure. But generally, it's my sense that parents love you guys love you guys surely your family was incredibly proud during this uh journey of yours can you guys tell us some of the interesting moments when you were telling your family brothers sisters moms and dads yes i'm going to new york yes i made the top eight top four top two what was that like yeah so my sister also did the competition and she got to top 16 and got out. So she was actually a bit mad. <laughs> but it was, it was great because while she was mad, my parents love me more now, obviously. I'm the favorite child now, just to my BBF. But they were obviously thrilled through the roof. My parents have been invested in like me and my sister doing debate for a really long time. They've obviously like allowed us to go to New York. They were kind of hesitant about that in the beginning just because like it's a trip without them, but they obviously supported that. 
and they're calling me throughout as Miles was talking about the day, getting updates, and they were just overall like through the roof and incredibly supportive and happy. And then we had a great dinner afterwards, and it was overall a great experience. I imagine it was like March Madness, right? Every time you advance around, you gotta you gotta throw the major the big party and the cut down. I don't know, you don't. There's no nets to cut down, but it was you know like tournament play. Every time you advance for another round further, you know you have to stop and celebrate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Also, Emil, just like as a as a fellow Gen Xer, like yeah, Gen Xers kind of pushed back, right? We were rebellious and we we pushed back on education largely through like teen angst and a lot of flannel. But uh, you guys here are kind of pushing back on education in a different way. I mean, yeah, they're highly successful students, but they pushed the Pine Richland education system sort of to its limits in a way. I mean, they, I've had three of these guys in class. They ask great questions. They ask questions that I've had to say, I don't know. They're demanding a lot from the education system. And I think there's definitely... Uh, a lot more people like them in their generation that are doing that, that are placing demands on the educational system that are healthy, right? Because again, as, as Jeff said, we don't know enough about this and we have this sort of paradigm that clearly is the result of a K through doctoral level education system. So what are we doing? And what are we doing wrong as an education system? What are we doing right as an education system? This challenging and allowing students to challenge you know, orthodox ways of thinking. And, and these guys are doing that. And yeah, they're not doing stupid stuff like I did, thankfully. But they're still, still rebels in a sense. They're pushing. I saw Andrew sort of like, well, you know, shaking his head. What about the school? What about the school? I know, um, did the school recognize you? Are your faces on posters or did it slip under the rug and people don't actually know about this incredible accomplishment? We got a shout out from the school. It was, it was really nice. Um, we got uh, a little poster put up of us. So that was, that was, that was very fun. Um, so no, I, I, we, we got recognition. We're yeah. happy with it. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, we need to get you guys more recognition from the Eurodollar community in particular, which is why we wanted to have <laughs> you on here because if there's one place that's going to love what you guys did, and the accomplishment here, it's going to be Eurodollar University in our audience. So hopefully our members in our audience can, will, I know they will, they'll appreciate the fact that, again, grassroots, independent, you know, small s scientific endeavor, the, the type of questioning authority that really makes us stand up and say, yeah, you know what, as bad as things are, and you guys are the ones getting screwed by all this. You know, you're the ones who've grown up without having any idea what a really booming economy looks like. And yet you're taking the ball and running with it and moving uh, into different uh, different disciplines. You know, it's, again, it's a shame that you couldn't go into economics and finance because we could surely use you. No, Jeff. No, I know, Jeff. But, you know, this is wonderful. I know, Thank God. You know, we, yeah. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to stop Society that. is being moved forward because they're avoiding yes. it. Yes. But that's, that's, I think, the overall frustration that you and I, Emil, we run into this all the time. We have to go outside of economics in order to get the message heard in order to make a difference. And the fact that you guys have run into the same problem and, and accomplished the same sort of thing is incredibly, incredibly hopeful. Can I ask John a question actually, because I live in the world of academia, right? But John lives in like the professional world, which sounds awful to me every time he talks about it. But <laughs> in that professional world that's out there, is there a place for challengers like these guys, guys who, who are free thinkers and challenge the system? Is that a valued skill or would they be sort of pariahs? 
I mean, if there's one skill set that I have that I that I would say that is the reason for my employment right now in the financial services industry, it's because I challenge the status quo every single day. So I would certainly uh, say that that is a very rare, rare skill to have. Um, and I think I possess it only because I don't come from this industry. Uh, I came into it. So for the same reason that you guys were outside of mainstream um, you know, economics and you trounce your competition in the debate, um, I think you guys could bring that same mindset into any industry and uh, and have the same effect. So yeah, be optimistic about that. Mr. Urban, do you have any, any final summary thoughts? Uh, we haven't asked you too much. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm the least important person here other than uh, help maybe get this connection going. So, I mean, I think my closing thoughts or comments are congrats to this debate team because you guys did a fantastic job. This seems like an awesome way to do a victory lap to come on, come on to this show, and which is the hub of all things zero dollar system. <laughs> and, uh, and I would say, you know, thanks, Jeff and Emil, because this is a great example of how the work that you guys are doing matters and uh, is making an impact out there. How about you, Mr. Roberts? Any summary thoughts that you want to make sure the audience keeps in mind? No, I'm just always a champion for, you know, the public education system in America and how you know, a, a group of great students like this in the right environment can do wonderful things. And I mean, it's, I'm, I'm amazed every year. I have a group of students that amazes me, but these guys are really up there. I won't ever forget this group. Your students, do you have any, any thoughts, anything that we didn't cover that we've got to? I just, one final time, we wanna thank Mr. Roberts, Mr. Biko, Mr. Urban, and everyone else that's made it possible, especially our parents. I know Ty's not here, but we also wanna thank him. Um, <laughs> it's it's really a group effort, and I mean, it, it's our ability to push forward and have the support that we had. You know, staying up late nights, like our parents allowed us to do that, being able to talk to Mr. Roberts and being able to bounce ideas off of it. All of that really allowed us to push forward and go to the next level, and um, it wouldn't be possible without them, so we just like to end with a major thank you to everyone. Jeff, your turn. My turn. I, I there's not much. I mean, there's so much that I could say. I, I'm first of all, it, it, again, it's such an incredible accomplishment. I want to re reiterate to the audience that this was a huge, huge, huge undertaking by you guys, and it was completely voluntary. That no definite uh, uh, positive outcome for you. I mean, it was all just up in the air, undertaking the time and effort to understand what is essentially incredible. Again, a com incredibly complex topic an incredibly difficult uh, intellectual journey to make and to do so as high school seniors. I mean, this, this is just an incredible undertaking. And the fact that you guys went all the way, went to New York City, did all the oral rounds, advanced one after another after another, got to the final, that it was unprecedented, right? Unprecedented five to nothing in the final. I can't say enough about how great an accomplishment this is and how proud we are of you and hopefully, I'm saying this on behalf of everybody who watches Eurodollar University and all our podcasts and all of our Eurodollar people, how incredibly proud that we are of you, of you guys for, for taking the time and effort in doing this and getting as far as you did and doing as much as you did. So again, thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing with us what uh, hopefully the, everybody else will take is, as I do, an incredibly positive uh, outcome from, again, a bunch of younger people who just care enough to do something like this. Very eloquently said, Jeff. I can't say it better myself. I wish you all the best and uh, I'm excited for your future. Thank you again for joining us.
Thank you. 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 Thank you.